Valeria, is that correct? Valeria, oh, I knew I'd get it wrong. Thank you, that was beautiful. It is good to be here in the house of the Lord, how about you? Uh, Lindsay and I are coming from Lansing, Michigan, um, which is actually not much colder. It's only 10 degrees colder, but we're glad to be here visiting my, uh, uh, my in-laws, her parents, and the church she grew up in. I tell you, this church is looking beautiful. Amen. Very, very well done, re- re-looking. And, you know, it, it reminds us of how God wants to renovate each of our lives if we let him, right? So it's good to be here, grateful for the privilege of being able to study God's word together. As we get started, though, would you bow your heads with me and us ask the Lord one more time to be with us as we begin. <clears throat> Father in heaven, as we gather here, We've already been moved through the worship experience we've had so far. But at this particular juncture, Father, we want to hear your message that you have for each of us. We want to have the the things and the burdens we may be carrying from this last week put onto your broad shoulders. So that we would hear the message you have individually applied to each one of us. So the Father, when we leave here, we might be different than we came in because we were in the presence of Jesus. And in a special way, I ask that you will come and anoint my lips and my mind. The Father, what I present will be fresh from your throne. And I also pray in a special way for each person listening that they'll be receptive to what you have. We lay this in your hands. We ask that you'll banish Satan and his angels from having any access to this sanctuary. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles to where we just were in our scripture reading, to 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. 1 Kings chapter 17. It's a very interesting moment in Elijah's life. It's a pivotal story. It's a story that growing up I love to listen to. Um... In, in, a few, in a few years, from the point in this point in the story, could be a couple of months, we don't know exactly how long, Elijah's going to be standing before the entire nation of Israel. But laying the, found, the foundation for that, Elijah has been called by God to go and carry a message to King Ahab. Israel has been moving farther and farther into apostasy. Just kind of give you a little background to the story you may be familiar with. Israel has been moving farther and farther into apostasy. They have been moving away from where God had called them to be. They were supposed to be God's special people. They were supposed to take a message and stand before the world as witnesses of who God had called them to be. But unfortunately, human nature got in the way and they slowly became more and more distracted from who the people God had called them. The, The... Society around them became more interesting. Idols became what they started worshiping. And, and, and as they began to focus on these other idols in these other areas, they, as God's special people, drifted farther and farther into apostasy. Until God raised up a prophet by the name of Elijah. Now, I don't know about you, but when I heard about Elijah as a young child, e- even, even more recently, I've always pictured him as this incredible man of faith. If you kind of pictured Elijah as this man of faith, he, I mean, for starters, he calls fire down from heaven 
He gets an entire nation of Israel together. He gets the rain to stop for three and a half years. He must have been this incredible man of faith. But James tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Yet he, does anyone know what it says? He what? He prayed. He did what? He prayed. Never underestimate what the power of what God can do through one person that says, God, we need a change here. I'm going to start praying for you to do something. Here's this man with, as James 5 says, a nature like ours. And yet he comes before the throne of God and he begins to pray earnestly for God to move in the nation of Israel. And after he's prayed, I don't know for how long, it might have been years. You know, sometimes we can pray for God to move in a way, and we can pray, and, I, and it might seem like nothing is happening. It can get, get discouraging when you don't see anything happening. He might have been praying for years, maybe decades. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But at some point, the timing was right. You see, what, what Elijah may not have known is behind the scenes, God was setting up the stakes for the greatest showdown in history. And at the right moment, God comes to Elijah. He says, it's time. I want you to go in and tell Ahab there's not going to be rain for three and a half years. Now that takes guts. Imagine going down to Sacramento and walking into the mayor's, what's your mayor's name here? Gavin. Imagine walking into his office. Did I get it wrong? Governor. Let's just go with governor. That's it. Imagine walking into the governor's office, right? And you walk in there and you just tell him, hey, there's not going to be rain for three and a half years. Now, he might think you're just predicting because California's in a drought. But it, 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 to get in there, you'd have to get through all the security. And, and, and though Israel wasn't nearly as sophisticated as California is, it still was something that took guts. But Elijah, because he had bowed low before the king of the universe, was unafraid to walk into the presence of any earthly person because God had commissioned him to go. And when you and I are called by God to do anything, if we have bowed low before God, there will be nothing we'll be afraid to do. When God says go, we'll say, God, how far? Let's go. So Elijah walks in, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. If you're there, if you'd let me know by saying amen. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain except these, year, these years, except at my what? At my word, he walks in, he gives the command, and then he follows what God said to do next. He turned around and he walked out. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it'll be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. God knows he needs to hide his prophet, because this is just the first step of an incredible process that God has laid out to try to turn the nation of Israel around from the the abyss they were about to jump into. So Elijah leaves. I wish I could have seen what happened in that throne. Ahab must have initially just sat there kind of shocked. Who is this guy that just walked in here? And then he gets himself and he commands his soldiers to go to rest him. They can't find him. And then days go by and the rain is not coming. Well, initially, a couple weeks go by, okay, we're just in a little bit of a dry spell. Then a month goes by, and, and you know in the back of his mind he's thinking, is this really because God gave a message and now we're not getting rain? 
And then two months go by, then three months go by, and the rain isn't coming, and the crops are beginning to fail, and the brooks are starting to dry up, and the cattle are starting to struggle to find, find water. And, and Ahab is becoming desperate to find Elijah. And so he has his people scouring all over, and yet God takes his, his servant, and he hides him by a brook out in the country, and he has him there protected from Elijah, or from Ahab. When we do what God tells us to do, if we follow where he calls us to go, it doesn't matter who is against us, God will always protect his people. If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? And so as the prophet is there, God, God hides him in this place. And I don't know if it was Arabs or if it was birds that fed him, but God even made sure that he had enough food to be able to survive. Now, it wasn't luxurious food, but it was the food necessary to sustain his life. He had water and he had food. He had everything that he needed because he was on God's mission. And when we are about what God calls us to do, he will always provide everything we need. Someone say amen. amen. Praise God for his protection in our lives. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Verse 5 of chapter 17. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which floweth into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook did what? It dried up. He's sleeping outside under the stars. He doesn't have to worry about getting rained out. He knows there's no rain coming. And slowly, he's every night, he's being soothed to sleep by the, the river running by. It must have actually been quite a nice place to be, would be my guess. But as the weeks go by, the water gets less and less loud. The waterfall makes less and less noise. And eventually, there's just puddles of water left. And then the water dries up. And again, in this moment, Elijah's faith is tested. Does he trust that the God who has brought him thus far will continue to provide him even when it appears that there's nothing available for him? You know, I don't know the journey of your life, but I know God does. And my guess is there may be someone here today that God has been guiding your steps and, and, and you may be sitting at a point where you're wondering, I know, God, you've led me to this point, and I know that you have something for me in the future, but right now I'm facing an incredible difficulty. I don't know how I'm going to be able to make the next step financially or whatever it may be. But I'd like to remind you of the story of Elijah. The God who has guided Elijah to the brook and allowed it to dry up had a plan, though he had not told Elijah how to provide for him. And that same God who has guided you to wherever you are now, if you will trust him and keep your eyes on him, he will provide that next step for you, even though it may seem impossible to human beings. Trust in the God who's guided you here, what do you say? And that God will lead you to where you need to go. Well, God comes and is a brook dried up, God comes with a message to Elijah. Verse 8, Then the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a, what's the word there, church? A widow there to provide for you. Oh, Elijah goes. Now, 
Who's looking for Elijah at this point? Ahab is actually extracting promises from kings that he's not there. He's got his soldiers, he's got everyone looking for him, and it's not just because Ahab wants him. There's many people in Israel that want Elijah found as well because they are losing their cattle. They may even be losing some loved ones to the drought that is gripping the land. And yet when God commanded him to go, what did Elijah do? Did he wait? Did he become afraid? Or did he just what? He goes. Because wherever God leads, though it may be through through even hell itself, if God commands us to go, it is the safest path versus anything else that we may choose. When we follow God, he provides. So he heads over there. He heads to Sidon, and uh, God has prepared a widow for him. And it's interesting, if you think about how much God has had to prepare ahead of time for this to take place, you begin to realize how big our God is and how he works to prepare the ground for his people. This widow, he... From, from years before, it had to prepare her to be in Sidon. It had to prepare her to be in this place and to be receptive to what he was about to ask her to do. For years, God had been setting the foundations and putting the pieces in place. In fact, if you think about it, this would have had to have been going on for, for centuries because of how much God would have had to put in place to make sure the right woman was at the right place, born at the right time, in the right city, to be ready for his messenger to be cared for. How incredibly detailed our God is in protecting and guiding his people. If we understood the infinite variables that God is constantly working within and also take into account how it's not just all the infinite variables. On top of that, he's working with people that have freedom of choice. And over and above all of that, God works out exactly what his people need. If we understood that, in the dimensions that the angels watch on a daily basis, we would never fear. We would always trust God. Because our God is able to do anything that we need. So Elijah heads over to meet this woman. And uh, as he's arriving, it's interesting, as he arrives to meet this woman, She's at a critical point in her own life. Let's read the story. I appreciated the scripture reading earlier, but let's keep on going, and we'll see where she's at. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gates of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering, what's she gathering? Sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little cup and a water that I might drink. What little water and a cup that I might drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. This woman is on the verge of death. Starvation is probably set in. She and her son are probably quite emaciated at this point. She's at the end of her rope. She knows that this is the last meal they're going to have. They've dragged out the flour and the oil as long as they could. They have made it last as long as they could. But she knows she can't get it to last any longer. 
And Elijah does something that is really strange. Now, when I was growing up, if there is a piece of food left at the table, and you know that other people wanted it, especially if you had company over, let me ask you, were you allowed to take that last piece of food? Nope. <laughs> you offered it to the other, right? That's the polite thing to do. Especially if you're a man and there is someone who is literally dying from starvation, would you take their last piece of food? Like, it's a strange story, isn't it? Like, we read it earlier, but let's, let's just read that, because what Elijah says to her next is just so bizarre. But there's a profound lesson in it. Let's read it. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it. What's the word there? First. Make me the cake first. And bring it to me. And afterwards, in other words, after he's eaten it, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the Lord sends rain on the earth. This is, this is unique and it's strange. Why does God, why does Elijah, under the inspiration of God, have the woman make him a cake first? To understand this, we need to understand the great law that governs everything in the universe. Now, Behind the Ten Commandments, there is a law that the Ten Commandments help us understand more detailed. What is the great law that runs the universe? Someone tell me. It's the law of love, right? And, and love can be described in the great cycle of, what is it? Beneficence. The cycle of beneficence, where, to summarize it quickly is where we receive to what? To give. What I receive, I receive so that I might impart. And if you look throughout the universe, you're probably familiar with this, but if you look in nature, out the window there, you will see this law at work. Look at, just, just take a moment, look out that window. There's nothing too distracting, but there's some beautiful plants, right? Look at the leaves of those plants. What are those leaves taking in and giving out? Someone tell me. They're taking in carbon dioxide, and they're giving off. So what a plant needs to be able to live is what? Carbon dioxide. And it gives off as waste what? Oxygen. Now, everyone take a breath. And now you can let it out. Don't hold it for too long. You don't want people passing out. As you breathe in, what is your body looking for from the air? Oxygen. And as you breathe out, what are you giving off as waste? Carbon dioxide. It's pretty simple. Here's what you have. In the, the, between plants and humans, and you could see this all the way through nature, the plants and humans, my waste is what the plant needs to survive. And the plant's waste is what I need to survive. I receive from the plant through God's miraculous, I mean, it all comes from God. You understand that, right? But I receive from the plant what I need, and I give back to the plant what it needs. And, and you find this. When, when, when cows are eating, they're taking in nutrients from, 
from the, the ground. Well, this might be a little too graphic, but you, they, they then give back what to the ground? Nutrients, right? It's a cycle at work. Back to my garden, what I love putting cow manure in because it gives back nutrients to the plants. We receive to what? To give. It's the cycle at work continually. No matter where you look, no matter what you see, you will see this cycle at work. Take your Bibles, hold your finger in 1 Kings 17, and go with me to Matthew chapter 25. There's many passages we could look at, but it's interesting to me, if you go to Matthew chapter 25, and you look at the, the parable that Christ gives there about the final moments of, his, of man's history, just before the final decision is made on those who are saved and those who are lost. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. You'll notice here in this parable of the sheep and the goats that the distinction between the two is those who follow the cycle of beneficence and those who do not. In Matthew chapter 25, are you there? Notice what it says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goat. This is the end of the thousand years. This is when Christ is high lifted up above the holy city and the wicked are outside the city and the righteous are inside the city. And I want you to notice how Christ divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set, verse 33, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I want to be in that group, don't you? What's the distinction? For I was hungry, and you gave me what? I was thirsty, and you gave me? I was a stranger, and you took me? I have a question for you. Who gives you the food that you have on your table when you go for lunch today? God did. Who gave you the food at breakfast this morning? God did. And so when he says, I was hungry, and you gave me... It's the people that took the gift of food that God gave them and didn't just keep it to themselves, but they gave to those around them. I was thirsty. Who gave you the water you drank this morning? Ultimately, who gave it to you? God did. Who provided you the, mons, the means to be able to pay the, um, if it's a well that you have, the electric company, or if it's uh, in, a, in a township, to be able to pay the bill, to be able to have the water come into your home. Who gave you those means? God did. And as you were drinking that water, did you realize that God gave that to you, not just for you to drink to yourself, but to look for those who are thirsty? He gave to you that you might receive and what? Give. Everything we have is in this cycle. It continues on. I was a stranger, and you... Who gave you the homes that you live in? Did God give you those homes to be selfishly used for yourself? No. He gave you that home so that, wisely, obviously, you can receive to what? Give. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. The distinction between those who are inside the city and those who are outside the city is the distinction of those who lived love in their lives, who received from God to give. 
to the people around them. That's it. And, and, and if you think about the Ten Commandments, someone says, hey, what about the Ten Commandments? Doesn't Revelation chapter 22 say that those who keep the commandments are the ones who are, that they may have access, blessed are those who keep the commandments, that they may have access to the tree of life. Yes, the Bible says that. But if you study the Ten Commandments, you will see that every one of the ten is in the cycle of beneficence. Receiving to give. I don't have time, because now you all are thinking about lunch. I mentioned it. I don't have time to walk through it, but you can ask me afterwards. I'll just mention two. Think of the fifth commandment. Who are the ones who, that says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gave you? Who gave you life? I mean, God ultimately did, but God used your parents to bring you into this world, did he not? And so to selfishly take that and give no, nothing back to the parents that God has given us is to lose out on the blessing that he has. We receive from our parents life, and we give back to them respect and honor. The sixth commandment, and then I'll stop with the commandments on this one. I've received, thou shalt not murder. I've received life from God, and I give the gift of not murdering my, my fellow beings to them around me. All the way through. Verse 4, you can look at it. Study it on your own time. It's a powerful study. You will see that all of the commandments are summarized up in that one commandment, love. Love God fully. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you understand that, you understand the cycle of beneficence. And coming back to our story, go back with me to 1 Kings. Coming back to our story, first verse, chapter 17. Coming back to our story, it was this cycle which this widow was clearly living that allowed God to know this is a woman safe for me to send my prophet to live with. And it was also the tests of will she receive. Who had given that widow the, the flower that she had? Who had given her the oil that she had? It was a test Will you give and trust me to give you more? And so she does. How different the story could have been. Take a, a moment to look at this story from the widow's perspective. She probably grew up in that town. A little later in the story, we won't have time to study this part of the story this morning. But if you drop down to verse 18, when her son dies and she goes to the prophet and she pleads for the prophet to, to do something for her son, she says something very interesting. She says, have you come to bring my sin to remembrance to me? This is a woman that we don't know what that sin is. The Bible doesn't tell us. It may have been that she had had her son out of wedlock. I don't know. She's a widow, so it's assumed that her husband has died. Maybe there was something else. Maybe there was shame associated with it. Maybe there was a reason why none of the village was taking care of her. I don't know. But if you look at it from her perspective, here's a woman who seems to be isolated in the story from the rest of her village, seems to be trying to fend for herself, and at some point she's carrying a guilt over some sin that she's committed in the past that the Bible doesn't tell us what it is. There's a drought that's come. The waters run low. The food has gotten 
scarce. She and her son have stretched the means as far as they can. Probably cut down to one meal a day for a while, and then half a meal, and then a quarter of a meal. And I can imagine the day before, maybe it was that morning that her and her son had had the conversation. And, and as a parent, this would be one of the hardest conversations you could have with your child. Because you're the provider. You're the one that's supposed to protect them, give to them. It's been her and her son against the rest of the world trying to survive. And then, that fateful day, she calls him in, and she's got tears in her eyes, and she says, Son, I'm sorry. This is it. It's all we have. There's no more. And maybe he ran over, and he looked in there, and he came back, and he's like, Yeah, Mom. And I'd like to imagine that he stuck his arms around her and says, It's okay, Mama. We'll make it through. I don't know. She's literally at the end of her rope. And then this man wearing a camel's skin calls to her as she's gone out with her son. She says, sons, let's go get some wood. We'll make that last fire, and then we'll die here. Man wearing a camel's jacket asks for some water. Well, she can do that. There's water scarce because there's been a drought, but she can find some water. And then he says, I would like some food. And she says, hold on there. I don't have enough food for you. My son and I are about to eat our last meal and die. And the man appeals to her to give. And if she will give, he promises she'll have more. I'm guessing it was a wrestle in her mind. Have you ever been? We don't usually have a lot of financial challenges here. But have you ever been in a place where you've been called to give and you know you don't have it? What do you do? I'm guessing none of us have had to choose between giving and the livelihood of our family. She makes a choice to trust God by giving. And when she steps into that cycle of beneficence, as she steps into that cycle of giving, she gives what she has. And God provided everything she needed to make it through the rest of that drought. Praise God. miraculously, angels, I can imagine they were so excited every morning. They'd come and they'd take the flour and they'd pour it in there. They'd put a little more oil in. Hey, did you see she's been giving? Here, let's give some more. Let's give some more. You know, I think what happens in a lot of our lives is we've become so plugged up in not giving to the work that God has for us to do. And not giving, not just financially, but of ourselves and our means to move God's work forward. We've become so plugged up that heaven has all these blessings it wants to pour out in our lives, but it can't because we're stuffed. And heaven is like, look, just give what you have. We'll take care of you. No, you may not have a really luxurious meal full of cakes and pies, but you'll have the necessities to be able to make it through life, which frankly is probably better for us anyway. You won't get type 2 diabetes. 
You'll be a lot healthier. You might not have a Tesla, but you'll have a car you can drive around in. Just trust God. The woman gave and God provided for her. It's incredible. And as we give, God will provide for us. You know, as we come to the conclusion of our study here, there's one simple thought that I hope you walk away with. There's more we could look at. Um, Let me just mention something in passing. I spent more time on this in my uh, in the church that I pastor in Lansing. But I think a lot of times the concept of tithe and offering has been looked at from a perspective that, well, you must return your tithe, you must return your offering, and God will bless. But the reason why God asked for the tithe and offering is it's living the cycle in our lives. I receive to what? To give. And when we break that cycle, we are breaking God's ability to pour his blessings out in our lives. And then we're surprised that things aren't going great. You may think of Malachi chapter 3. He says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not pour out a blessing upon you, which there will not be room enough to receive. When we give, it frees God to be able to pour out into us what he can't give us otherwise. But it's not just financial. What are you giving to the people around you? Are you looking for people to to impact? What, What individuals in your lives need that blessing from God right now that he has given you and he's calling you to give out? Paul says, do not be forgetful to entertain strangers. For some have entertained angels unaware. God may even have an angel he wants to send to your house in form. Sometimes we're so stuck on on worrying about whether we can get our house where it needs to be to have people over or anything else. We get so caught up in that that we miss that if we will just get out of the way and give what we have, God will pour out more than we can imagine in our lives. I'll end with this story, and then we'll close with prayer. When my grandparents on my mom's side got married, Elwood and Amy Sherrard, they headed as missionaries to the Far Eastern Division. Um, When they got married, they decided they were going to pay 10% tithe and I think they started off a 5% offering. And then they decided, well, you know, God has been blessing us. We should do a double tithe. So they did 10% tithe and 10% offering. But as, as time progressed, my grandfather became convicted. You know, every year of marriage, God has, is a gift from God. So he decided to do something And I'm not saying you should do this, but it's what God did that I think is powerful. I'm not saying you shouldn't do this either. Let God guide you on that, amen? They decided for every year of marriage, they would increase their thank offering by 1%. 
and God blessed them with a long marriage. Now, my grandfather was very careful with his finances, very careful. Uh, he was an amazing man. Um, but he was, so ca he was careful with his finances because he wanted to have more to be able to give. Like, he would make sure that the toothpaste was just a dab because, hey, that's pennies and I can give more if I just do a dab of toothpaste. You'd also count how many toilet paper squares. I'm not saying you should do that. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, God, he was careful because he wanted to what? That's the point. And as they did that, near the end of his life, the percentage that they were giving was well over 50%. But God had raised up family to be able to take care of them. And when he died, my mom was shocked at all of the mission places that were mailing saying, hey, what happened? Our donations have gotten, is he okay? Is everything all right? We had no idea how many missionaries around the world they were supporting. And all of their time, they'd been on a missionary salary. To receive, to what? To give. Where are you at? Lindsay and I were convicted that we needed to change how we're giving. We're doing this next year. We've lost the renter that we have in our house, so our funds are a lot tighter. But we thought this is the best time to test God, right? So we've gone to a double tithe now. We're doing 10% tithe, 10% offering. It's going to be a faith venture. But I know God is able to provide. How about you? So I don't know where your journey's at. Some of the advantage of coming in as a guest speaker is no one can say you're preaching at you. Because I don't know. If you feel preached at, that's the Holy Spirit, not me. But why not test God? And get in this great cycle that God wants to pour out into your life. Test God and see what he can do. Not just in your finances, but in your giving. So, every head bowed, every eye closed. It's time for the appeal. Twenty twenty four three. If the year was to be summarized, would the tally next to the year be selfish or giving? And I'm not just talking finances. I'm talking your time, your gifts, your talents. The good news is, whatever the tally was last year, Jesus wants to change it for this next year to be positive because it was negative. And so my appeal to you that has been the personal journey I've been on is to make this next year the year that we give. How many of you want to raise your hands and say, God, I want to give this next year. I don't want to be selfish with any of my time, my means. Put them high. I want to pray for you. Father in heaven, you see the hands that are raised. We don't want to live selfishly taking to ourselves. We want to live giving and giving and giving again. I ask that you will come close to each one of us. Father, I don't know the journey of those who are here. I know you do.
I know you know them intimately and personally. But I ask that wherever they are at on their journey, that according to your mercy and grace, you would strengthen them in this faith journey this next year. Open our eyes to see what we can give. And give us the faith to trust you that no matter how much it costs, we will give because of all that you've done for us. We love you. We know that you love us. In Jesus' name.